0: Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to promote better health and peak performance. We here at Swissper know that even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. With its complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, it is no common drink, but straight up nutritional insurance for your body delivered right to your doorstep. And let's be honest, you can't really take off as an entrepreneur if you don't have the right fuel. I myself use Athletic Greens first thing in the morning. One simple scoop in a glass of water means my energy levels stay consistently high throughout my day. Athletic Greens taste delicious and it manages to do so while containing no more than one gram of sugar and being compatible with any diet you can imagine. Vegan, paleo, keto, you name it. So if you're ready to become the entrepreneur of your dreams, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash to claim our special offer today and receive a free D3K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one-year supply of vitamin D. Very important for the coming winter months. And you know what's also a winter essential? Listening to Swisspreneur. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash And now on
1: with the show. There is always a gap between what people would say they would be keen to buy and what they actually buy. Uh, that gap is very annoying, but, uh, but it's real, so face reality as soon as possible. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan.
0: Theo Deweyman, welcome back to the Swiss Printer Show. It's a pleasure to have you here again. Good to see you again, Cyril. Today, we're going to talk about how you can pivot the right way. And the first question in that regard is, what mistakes do you see Swiss startups making repeatedly when it comes to pivoting?
1: So it's a tough question. I don't like to judge. But uh, if I take my experience and some of the things I've seen around with my friends, I would say uh, number one is um, not to pivot fast enough. Um, as a founder, it's easy to be fulfilled by, um, uh, I would say, little wins, but to not see that you have a clear product market fit is, is I would say, a common, common mistake. Um, second is to take too long to do iteration cycles um, and face reality fast. Uh, so, like we said on the previous episode, there is always a gap between what people would say they would be keen to buy and what they actually buy. Right. Uh, that gap is very annoying, but, uh, <laughs> but it's real. So, face reality as soon as possible. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I would say those are the two. Awesome.
0: In the prep call that we did, you also mentioned a framework that was helpful for you, the Startup 500's Startup Pivot Pyramid. Maybe you can quickly talk about that, you know, the five different elements that are part of the pyramid. And then also we talk about how you can actually make that use for you and apply that to your startup. So what are the five parts of the the startup pyramid?
1: Yeah, before that, when you pivot, um, it very quickly gets overwhelming the amount of things you need to do to progress. Uh, So what I think is interesting, I actually took a, a business coach to help me through this time. Uh, and it has been fascinating. And he brought me this um, uh, this pyramid, uh, Pivot Pyramid by 500. Just a start. quick
0: question here. Where did you find that coach? Because, you know, finding the right coaches is incredibly difficult. I Very imagine. difficult. It's
1: been a good year that I wanted to find a coach. And I was sort of waiting life to bring him or her to me. Uh, and it did. I have a friend, uh, that, um that had a company that he has been able to turn around big time. Uh, from a moment where he was about to close to making a lot, uh, I mean, really good revenue today. And it was thanks to this person. Uh, so he made an introduction. We hit it off and here we go. Cool. So yeah, personal referral is probably the best way to go yeah. there. Definitely. And then just trying meeting a lot of different people right. probably is the 10th person or 10th coach that I, I, I have sort of, um, discussed with, mm-hmm. but it's, I could definitely sense there was a fit there. Absolutely. And, um, and so he brought in this pyramid. Uh, it has five um, elements. It starts at the bottom with customer, mm-hmm. goes up to the problem, the solution that you offer, the technology that you use to fulfill the solution, right. and then managing growth, essentially. How can you hack growth? How can you accelerate growth? Right. Um, everything should lead towards the top of the pyramid. But what's interesting is that if you iterate at different level of the pyramid, it, it shows how much you have to rebuild on top of it. So if you change the base, if you change the customer, you have to start from scratch, essentially.
0: You basically build a new startup you to basically. a
1: certain degree. You basically build a new startup with a bit more experience, but just a new startup. And then if you change growth, you iterate on growth, um, uh, then you can keep the same solution, the same problem, the same, the same product, and then you can you can essentially iterate on growth just there.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk about these five different areas. Uh, finding the right customers, you know, we talked about in the in the first episode. You were actually looking for customers because you already have the technology from SRI. Yep. How do you how do you as a startup how do you find the right
1: customer? What's important to to tackle there? I mean, of course, you start with a hypothesis, mm-hmm. um, kind of methodically and scientifically, and then you go and validate this hypothesis or 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 make it invalid. Um, and so. I I mean just in in the first 10 weeks of of the idea or the hypothesis you need to get to 50 100 meetings I would say uh with prospective clients. Uh there are nice tricks to to get to it. You you don't have to be too much in sales mode. You can you can more be like ah, I'm doing a survey about this and yeah. that. Uh, I'll send you the report at the end. You see it's super interesting. Would you be willing to give me 10 15 minutes and then it turns into a sale but 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 there are tricky ways to to get to to that to that part.
0: I think that's a perfect uh, suggestion or also recommendation how to approach that, even for people that might say, I don't like doing sales. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: It softens the movement. Exactly. And when you actually do these, you know, validate your hypothesis, then when do you actually realize and
1: know that you've found the right customer? Um, I mean, it's about it's about finding enough customers in a big enough market that have basically the same problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you, you it it still stays hypothetical uh, because right. again you need to push it all the way until the checkbook, um, but once you start to get a bit of um, conviction that this problem is real, uh, then you iterate onto a, a a solution like a prototype to test it.
0: Right, and so very closely linked to that is also the problem that you solve the right problem for them and even understand what problem they have. Exactly. How do you also validate this part? Because now you, you know, you talk to them and it's, as I understand it, much more about finding the problem that they have and not trying to sell them something already. It's much more about validating the problem that they have and confirming that several customers
1: in the same industry, for example, have the same problem that you could solve potentially. Absolutely. I think it's interesting here because it's a fine art between, um, imposing your view and really listening to what's their actual problem because they might not know they have this problem and they might not tell you, uh, but they, will, they might also confirm they have the problem you're, you're stating because you're pushing it too hard. Right. So it's a fine balance there that you need to strike. Um, what I like to do, generally a tip there, is, um, is to ask them to put this problem in perspective with their other problem and to actually grade them. What is your number one problem? What is your number two? What is your number three? And you see, you can project where does your problem fit. If it's not number one, maybe number two, yeah. then you have a problem.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, you will have a yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and And then, you know, I can also imagine that the same problem might be communicated in different forms. So maybe one company tells you, we have this problem. Another company tells you the same problem, but it sounds differently how do they then uh, understand what's the real problem behind what they actually say.
1: Then I think it's a good transition towards the solution. And it's to talk about, you know, if we could do that and that and that, would that help? Uh, and then the answer, yes or no. If it's yes, okay, it would help. But then how? What exactly will it provide? What kind of savings, what kind of efficiencies, what kind of things it will enable you to do is it big enough? Right. Got it.
0: And you usually do that ideally before you start building something, right?
1: Ideally. Ideally. Ideally, <laughs> exactly. Ideally. And then, um, and then it's pretty fascinating. But if you're a bit uh, street smart, I think you're you're able to mock things out or do mini prototypes that allows you to kind of of test it. But yeah, there's this this gap between again theory and reality, which is which is hard to handle. And uh, just a couple more details that uh, are interesting,
0: I think. How many people should you actually talk to? You mentioned before something about 100, 200 uh, companies, for example, if you're in the B2B sector that you should talk to. Is there a certain number where you say this is the amount of people that you should interview to really understand their problem?
1: I mean, I can talk about our current situation. In the past 10 weeks, we've uh, approached about 50 customers. Um, And at that point, I feel I have um, a better thesis, Um, but it's still a thesis. Um, and and then I would say so. There are a few steps. So 50 customers is good to start having a hypothesis about. Okay, I realize that these kind of companies that have raised that much, that have maybe 50 employees, about their maturity state, yeah. they seem to be open to what what I what I'm proposing. Right. Uh, and then you would use the next 50 to say, hey, let's really focus head down on these kind of companies mm-hmm. and see how fast they react to the problem and how you rate one, two, three their priorities and. Yeah. And then I would say about 100, you have a good idea of, of if you have something that sticks or not.
0: When you actually also start talking about the solution, where you say, if we do this, would you be interested in buying that, for example? Is that something you already include in the early interviews? Or is that something that you more say for the later interviews or not interview at, at all for the, the company at the problem stage?
1: Uh, I always include it, if I can, at the end of the interview. So I don't want that to um, influence the conversation. But I would love to just get their sense on on the solution and it, if it sticks or not. Got it. And another point is the right hypothesis. Should you go for
0: one hypothesis or are there several that you want to test and validate or invalidate at the same time?
1: So it depends. There's a limit of time. Uh, I mean, doing 50 meetings is very time consuming. So I would say if, you have, if you're at the point where you don't have enough experience to have one clear hypothesis that you believe in, um, then I would use different methods okay. um, for example I haven't done it but I, I know of people that do really well, you take 10 hypotheses mm-hmm. uh, you build a front website, web page yes. uh, you advertise it on LinkedIn uh, and then you see the click through and you have a data driven approach on how right. much of a problem this actually is yeah. and then you can hone in on, on, on a few that then I think is worth digging personally with personal meetings so you can sense the, the problem
0: and what does a, a good hypothesis actually
1: look like? Do you have any example that you used yourself? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, you, you want to tend towards understanding who is your ideal customer profile. That's a kind of a concept that you can read a lot online. An ideal customer profile is understanding, um, I mean, it's to map what kind of company, what kind of stakeholder, and what kind of problem uh, you can flow through uh, in order to offer a solution. Uh, and I would say if you map these three out and you have enough data points to support it, I think it's a, it's a good enough uh, framework.
0: Perfect. Talking about data points, um, how do you then know, actually come up with a conclusion after doing all these 50 or 100 interviews? Is, is there any
1: analysis method that you use? At the end of the day, it's uh, dollars. <laughs> no. uh, who paid for how much? Yeah. Um, because you, you can have a fit of a problem. But the value of the problem you're solving is worth, you know, $10. And you right. aim for 100 to make a business that is profitable. Yeah. So you, at the end of the day, it all comes down to how much revenue have you been able to generate in that time frame? Yeah. And is it worth it?
0: And I think that's also good, uh, again, transition to the solution part. How do you actually generate revenue then from people that you ask for
1: feedback? It's a fine line, but, uh, <laughs> but when you ask for feedback, you inevitably go into discussions about the problems and solution. Um, and it's a human tendency to want to solve your problems. Yeah. So if it's a big enough problem, they will always be curious to solve it.
0: So that would be a very good sign that if they you know, say on their own, probably in the interview, hey, let me know when you bring that out. I actually want to pay you and use it.
1: Yeah, exactly. That would be, that. that's the best sign. Yeah. That's the best time
0: And how long does it take you know from doing the customer interviews so maybe first tackle the 50 to 100 interviews what's the time frame that you dedicate to this part
1: Approximately. It's a significant amount of time but I would say um, if you take 10 weeks um, 24 days so I would say two three, two to three days a week you're, you're on it um, It's a mix of generating the leads, generating the meetings and then actually executing on the meetings. Uh, if you do that alone, I would say that's the amount of time it takes. Got it. Are there any tools uh, that help you to,
0: to manage uh, and make that process easier or more successful?
1: I suck with this, unfortunately. I know there are, I mean, I've heard of some, some folks doing some really amazing automated like meeting setup right. where they would have almost boss reach out on LinkedIn on target market and yeah. then with a link to basically book a meeting. Unfortunately, I'm not so good with this. Um, I'm just a, I think, good networker. And so I always, at the end, hey, do you have someone who might have a similar problem that you can introduce me to? And I kind of grow the relevance of the outreach organically like that. Got it. Makes sense. But it's not the most efficient, I have to admit. Sure, but uh, it
0: works. (laughs) And now also the solution part, you know, there's always also this balance that you need to strike for to validate it, but to also not invest too much time in actually building it. Again, depending on the technology and everything, um, that might be easier or harder. Yep. How do you go about that step?
1: And where do you actually then you know, also generate the first revenue? Yeah, in, in, the, in the process of validating the solution, um, it's, it's quite fascinating how much you can shape the solution to find the lowest hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes even in AI, it can be as simple as manually doing what the algorithm is, is supposed to do, sure. right? Uh, which happens much more than we think. I can imagine it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so um, and so it's 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 trying to find that, that lowest hanging fruit that you can you can actually put in the hands of the customer as soon right. as possible.
0: And then the the fourth part is basically the tech. Um, I think this is also a good transition from you know doing manually what the AI is supposed to do and then suddenly start building around the tech if we see that there's some traction. Yep. Is that the right way to approach this?
1: Yes. Um, you always kind of sell what you have in six months. Um, because anyway, by the time you have the contracts figured out everything, uh, it, it takes a few months usually. Uh, so then you have to kind of manage, um, the expectation of the customer with what you believe you can deliver with the technology behind. Uh, so that's a, that's a fine art as well, but it's a fun one. <laughs> Why is it so fun? It's fun because, uh, you know, you have to stay honest. You have to stay, um, Reasonable about what your technology can do. But of course, you need to make a lot of assumptions and some bets um, right. and that better that, but that you believe, right? And sometimes it works better. Sometimes it works much worse than expected. Many need to handle that uh, on the go. Absolutely.
0: What was really interesting for me to see because I didn't know the framework before you actually introduced it to me. So thank you for that. Sure. The tech is actually pretty high on the second highest level in the pyramid. So it seems to be Quite possible to change and adapt it, I would have expected that way lower uh, than I anticipated. Maybe that's also a very Swiss perspective. How do you see that
1: yeah um, I mean if you dig into the technology, there are many many ways to offer the same solution. It can be the use of a certain language for coding it can be the use of a certain technology for a process um, and so and so that evolves big time with each phase of the company. Um, and then there's never one single tech decision that will last for you know the first three years of a company. Right. You'll have to take your stack and rewrite it and based on learning but also on scale. Um, you're of course not going to build a prototype that can handle a thousand users, uh, but then after the prototype gets to its limits, so you need to reframe it. Uh, so it, it's, in my opinion, normal that it's up there because it's 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 really the manifestation of the first three steps.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, more a means to build your actual solution, right? Not the solution itself. Exactly.
1: And it's a means that is it's not fixed. It's constantly evolving, um, progress from the market, but also requirements for the scale of where you're at with the company. Right. So it's a constantly living living
0: organism. And then the last part, the sort of holy grail that you want to get to is yes. the growth part. Yeah. What can you tell us about this
1: last step? Well, this step is, I like the story that is given in the article that talks about the pyramid is is Airbnb. Um, they had found the right product. they uh, I mean, they had found the right customer, the right problem, the right solution, the right technology to make it happen, but they, they, they didn't have a huge growth. Um, so So... Uh, what they did is that they listed their availabilities on QuickList and that made a huge influx of of, uh, of new visitors on their website and, 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 and bookings. Um, and, uh, and so you have to be very data-driven. Um, again, that's the thing. The cool part about the top of the pyramid is that you can iterate a lot. It doesn't cost much today to test um, avenues and results and then just... Data driven, you you launch ten actions or 10, 10 campaigns and you see what sticks.
0: Right. Yeah, there you have like daily or at least like weekly iterations that you just test in a sort of sales and marketing game. At the end, exactly. And that's the fun part. Yeah. But you need to get the basics right; otherwise, it's just a waste of time and effort. Yeah.
1: Looking forward to get to that part. Absolutely, I
0: can imagine. Is there also, you know, um, when thinking again about the different five stages, is there any sort sort of metric where you would say this is actually a good way to measure where you stand and if you really nailed it there to progress to the next uh, stage i know this is very difficult to ask but maybe we can come up with some metrics that help you to guide through the five different
1: stages metrics i don't know but i would say definitely that feeling of customer knocking down the door to get your product Um, and i think you go through that pyramid with a various degree of pivot, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but you iterate on that pyramid constantly until that customer base is is solid to a point that they, they come and knock your door right. down.
0: And there it seems to be that these three are really super linked with each other. So customer problem solution, this is probably the thing that you have to iterate first. And once you actually lock that in, it's probably not going to change that much, but your tech and your growth strategy might, right? Exactly, exactly. So let's also focus on some execution tips. When do you actually realize that you need to change something? I know one of the mistakes that you mentioned was that people wait too long until they actually pivot. So how and when do you realize that you should pivot? So
1: I, you know, I loved, um, one advisor, I told him, well, I had this meeting with this company and uh, I presented the project and they said, it's awesome. And I was, I was very satisfied with this, you know. Uh, And then his first answer was like, if they say it's awesome, you have to just leave because basically they're never going to, no one buys because it's awesome. They buy it because it solves a specific problem uh, and it has a specific value. And I think um, one of the common thing there is, is as a founder, you work so passionately on your problem that um, having the 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 gratitude i mean the energy of people saying what you do is awesome is is fulfilling already but you should go much further into making sure that uh, what you do is really useful
0: i think this is a a good way to compare this like this is rewarding the short term it feels good and you feel appreciation but in the long term it might actually really harm you big time because you're moving in the wrong
1: direction exactly and then that's the type of situations where um you 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 have this meeting, it's awesome, then you're super excited, and then two weeks later they stop answering and then it drags you on to a month and then you lose a lot of time and energy on that. So the big question then is how do you get past awesome? How, so then then the someone says it's awesome, and you have to say, Why is it awesome? Uh, if they say because it's nice, <laughs> then you have a big problem. But if they say it's awesome because I've been looking for this for ages. Um, I have this problem and I think it can address it. Uh, and then once you really start to hit the tangible, um, that's where you have something juicy. Tangible in, in what way? About the,
0: the problem that it actually, the, the money that it cost him to not solve it, for example?
1: Yeah, the pain that it cost him. Um, it can be, you know, it can be sometimes emotional pain, but it's of course financial pain. Um, and usually you sense that sense of urgency uh, if you have a product market fit, you sense like, okay, we need to do this now. Like, let's drop everything. Yes. Uh, we need to 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 address this now. Yeah. And then from
0: their understanding, okay, they really need this, what's your next step to then actually close the sale?
1: Then it's to have a good target towards like the end result, which is a successful deployment with a happy customer and to work backward with what are the steps to get there. Um, and then... And then there's a nice framework that is why buy anything, why buy us, and why buy now? And so at this point, you have why buy anything, you have it because there is a problem. Um, you have established a good connection, why buy us? Because you have the right solution to that problem. Exactly. And then I think the tricky part, which it took me a long time to learn, is why buy now? And it's to find the hook of why they should do that now. Because in a large enterprise, things can drag on forever. Sure. And you need to find that hook that will um, that you can leverage to constantly push uh, the progress of the deployment. It can be a board meeting, it can be a trade show, it can be a product release, it can be, there are many things that makes it that you can then call back and say, hey, there's a product release in September. If we don't sign the agreement now and we don't do the, the, yes. the first version, you, we're going to miss it. Let's, You know, like you hold you hold right. a bit the, the agenda.
0: To really create this also sense of urgency to a certain degree. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. I just remember, you know, having discussions with Alain, the founder of Syspreneur. He also mentioned that this why now, also if you start a new startup, is so critical to answer and to have a good answer for it, not just to answer it anyhow. Yeah. And I think this goes in the very similar direction.
1: Yeah. Timing, timing, yeah.
0: timing. Think about why now. Everything else almost sounds as easy beyond that. Yeah. Wow. Well, and you know also that the question then is I know we we slightly already touched that, but how often should we change the different stages? You know, from customer up to growth. How often should he change the different stages?
1: Mm-hmm. Um I mean you have to change it as until you have a product marketed. Um and sometimes that takes um sometimes that can take years. Sometimes that can take a month. It, I think, really depends on how much experience you've had in that industry in the past, so how Mm -hmm. strong is your, or how real is your hypothesis Um, and how far you're from the truth. Uh, But, yeah, change it until you have a good product-market fit.
0: From your understanding, what would you describe as product-market fit with that framework? Like, which of these five parts really make up the product-market fit?
1: I guess it's the growth part, um, because... Again, if you solve really well one problem for one customer, you're not going to go far. Right. And so the only way to really measure is that you have a fast, uh, repeatable mm-hmm. um, sales cycle right. that shows that you can basically rinse and repeat this problem solution technology yeah. for a large market. Right. And so then you go into a phase that I, I can't wait to get in, which is you know the growth phase. Yes.
0: So, but then this is really. Until you enter the growth phase, that's actually where you're still figuring out the product market fit. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that I see many startups doing is trying to address multiple different customers at the same time, maybe even with different problems. Yeah. Is that something that you would recommend
1: to do? Uh, that's a mistake that we've done. Okay. Yeah. Um, Again, you're, when you look for validation in the beginning, you are ready to take sort of everything to progress and move forward and show results. Right. Uh, so that's dangerous. Um, and, uh, and you spread thin extremely quickly when you address different customers with different problems. Um, uh, I love the, the story, I think, of, of PayPal, was it? Uh, to build a marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, you you can definitely not have this approach. Otherwise, you will never have the volume or the velocity or the right product for for everybody. Right. Uh, and I think they decided to focus on on um, on stamps and uh, and, uh, and and getting the perfect ecosystem for stamp traders. Right. Uh, and then they grew from there. And so that that initial right now target market is 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 key to define and to to, to stay focused on.
0: Absolutely. I think that's also a very good takeaway why marketplaces are so difficult to build up because you always have two different customers, the suppliers and uh, the demanders, basically, that you have to make happy and, and uh, bring together.
1: Yeah, and even within the supplier and the and the demand, you have subcategories, right? Right. Um, and so it's to break it down until you have one that you can yeah. address a niche, essentially, at first.
0: Focus, again. Focus. Sounds simple, and again, hard It's so practice. hard,
1: <laughs> it's so hard. I've
0: made that mistake too many times. Did, did he have, you know, you said that you also address the different customers at the same time. How do you then decide about which one you would go for?
1: Um, I mean, it's a mix of potential. So you'd say, again, if I talk about this framework, but how big is the problem and how much value is there in this problem? Right. Um, how much can you charge for what you offer? Uh, and based on that, can you build a profitable company? Uh, so it's a very rational decision at the end, which one has the most potential, both in terms of how much can you charge and how big is the market. Got it. Yeah, and the framework really helps you to, to get there, I think. It does. I think it does in a way also because it simplifies the amount of things you need to think about. It can be quickly overwhelming if you start thinking about, I don't know, you know, marketing and then what if I have to do that and this and that. Those are questions that, in my opinion, you should ask yourself a bit later. Okay. And it it helps you just, let's get to the essentials. Once we have the essentials, we'll figure the rest out.
0: Sure. Are there any limitations that you see of this model where you say, this is a good starting point, but there are other things that you'll obviously also need to tackle or to address?
1: Always, I would say uh, no model is perfect. Right. Uh, but again, uh, it helps put a little bit of a playing field because, again, you start with a blank sheet of paper. Um, and then from there, you, I would say you put in your own spices and your own sauce. So it's a good uh, guiding store, but don't take it for granted.
0: Exactly. Awesome. Is there any other tip that you would give to Swiss startups or startups in general in terms of their pivot that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Uh, I think we've talked about a lot. Um, let me just give it a, a minute to think. Sure. Any other tips for pivots? I mean, the the only thing is a personal attitude. Um, getting attached mm-hmm. in everything actually, but also for pivots or for companies is, is, is one thing that will hinder you from making the right moves. And for example, taking too long to pivot. So just keep a, just just keep in mind, you know, the level of attachment you have for something and how much that, impacts your objective judgment on how things are going.
0: It's a very interesting point. Is there anything that helped you to to do that? You know, to map out your goals on an annual level or then breaking them down to a quarterly level or anything of that sort that helped you to emotionally detach from your startup baby, so to say? Meditation. Okay, yeah.
1: Meditation because uh, you take, again, a higher perspective that this is a small part of your life, um, if you consider the bigger picture. And it, it puts it in the right place in terms of emotional attachment you put to it. Absolutely. How long do you meditate per day? I try 30 minutes. Okay.
0: It's quite long. Yeah.
1: Five days a week. Okay.
0: Great. Morning or evening? Whenever I can fit it. Okay. So it's more of a flexible thing then?
1: Yeah. Cool. If you arrive late, then I'll take the, the support needed to, you know, close my eyes and, uh, in the train and... Uh, Uh, in the tram, anywhere where I can sit down and and just have a bit of quiet time, I'll take it.
0: So we are almost in the rapid fire question section, it feels like. Cool. So I give you a selection of different choices and you have to make one of these choices and quickly explain why you made that choice. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Europe, United States or Asia?
1: Europe. Because a man travels the world to search uh, his meaning and finds it at home.
0: Nice one. Wealth or happiness? Happiness. Why? It's all that matters. For me, it's interesting. It seems that, you know, not you, but in general, in, in society, many people seem to strive for wealth. But everybody says in our podcast so far that they are actually, they want to have the happiness part. It's interesting. So yeah. that doesn't add up to me. Yeah, to I, a know, I know. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a tricky question, but uh, wealth doesn't bring happiness. I'm very convinced of that. Absolutely. And what makes you smile? Your girlfriend, maybe? My girlfriend,
0: <laughs> my family, uh, and a good time with myself. Perfect. And what was also very surprising when doing the research, you speak five different languages, at least, I guess. French, German, English, Chinese, and also Turkish. Which one do you choose?
1: Uh, I, I, I think English, unfortunately. I have horrible spelling in French. Uh, I love Turkish, but they take me as a tourist every time I try to speak the language in <laughs> Turkey. <laughs> so I would, I, would, I would take English. Makes sense. And also the last question for today,
0: where do you go to think? Um, shower.
1: I spend a lot of time in shower. It's, it's a nice change of temperature, mood, ambience, and it, it, it helps me change uh, levels as well.
0: Make sure that the brain white waves uh, flow the right way. Exactly. Awesome. Theo, thank you so much. It really was a pleasure. And it's just a really great uh, chat with you. Thank you so much for taking the time and all the best for the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Sinai. It was great to chat with you.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's
1: episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.